We are today in the, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. If you're present here, you have your Bibles, turn there, or on your apps, or uh, Bible apps, get to John, chapter 13, and we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture there. So, as I had put this together, and you're going to see it up on the screen, and then for those of you who are at home, I do want to read just a little bit in advance of this, because I started rethinking this even today, this morning, I want to really set the context for, for our reading. So I had put a little bit of chapter uh, or, or verse 30, but I'm going to go back uh, to verse 27 in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. So reading a little in, in advance of some of the passage that we have printed out or that you will see on the screen, okay? So John chapter 13, beginning at verse 27. And as soon, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you, and this, these are the words of Jesus, what you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money and some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what he needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. But as soon as Judas had taken the bread, and that's where we pick up on our, our screen today, he then went out and immediately, uh, and it was night. And so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as uh, I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you, uh, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you, will, you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I'm asking that you would open our hearts and our understanding to receive into good ground that which you're presenting to us today. Thank you for your word. Lord, we want to be those that exemplify the life of a follower, a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We want to dismiss the unbeliever in every one of us so that we might get to what you have called us to and be about what you want us to be about that you may be increased in us and we may be decreased. We thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In this particular message on Satan, I want to talk to you this morning about 
traits that identify people who are saved, who are believers, who are followers, who are true disciples of Jesus Christ. When the unbeliever in this story is dismissed, that's Judas, to carry out Satan's mission, it's, it's, a, it's a timely moment because Jesus turns to the other 11 and he begins to speak to them, those that are in the room, about something very, very important after the unbeliever has been dismissed. Jesus brings this teaching that we're going to go through this morning. Jesus has a personal conversation with true believers that are left in the room. I, I, I never read this, but what I don't think about a story we were told in Romania years ago about uh, during the time when they still were under communism and they tell the story of how a couple of guys came in that they had never seen before in the church and uh, they, they came there and there was a great fear all across the country of the secret police and people who, and, and so they're very suspect and untrusting of people that they did not know and the community was not, uh, didn't have a relationship with or nobody could identify. And these gentlemen came in the room and they came all the way to the front of the building just after service had started and everyone stopped and froze for a moment and they said to the crowd, they said, anyone who would deny Jesus and, and not believe in Jesus needs to get up right now and leave the building. Because if you stay here, you're saying that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And there was a great fear that fell over the certain ones of that congregation. And there were six or eight people who stood up almost immediately and walked out the door. And after the door had closed and things had calmed in the building and everyone who was there was steadfastly uh, going to stay there, resolute about their commitment to Jesus Christ, these two gentlemen said, it's good to know fellow believers in Jesus Christ. We too love Jesus. We just wanted to make sure all of the unbelievers were out of the room. <laughs> and once the unbelievers were gone, they had church. And I think about this when I think about this story and Jesus wanting to relate to them the most important thing. And he's talking about love. And he begins to, to speak to them about love, but love in three kinds of ways that we might not often think about. He talks to them about the love for the glory of God. That has to be a paramount trait for those who are going to be followers of Jesus Christ, is that they love more than anything to glorify God. And the second kind of love he talks about here is a love that is a brotherly love, a kind of love that is a godly love for each other, for those that are around you, for men and women and children and everyone that you run into in humanity. A kind of love that is, that is beyond what we are naturally capable of doing. And he expresses that and explains it. A love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are around us, a, a, a passion for them. And then finally, he talks about uh, a kind of loyalty kind of love, a love that is so consistent that it lives out in, in a kind of a personal loyalty. So uh, summing it up, and I have it, I think, on the screen here, the true believer is driven to demonstrate his love to his Lord, his love to his brothers, and his love in action through loyalty and faithfulness. And that's what Jesus wants to disclose after the unbeliever is out of the room. Jesus calls them together and says, here's what I want to deal with. And he goes through this really 
not only to share with them uh, what he would share with true believers, but also to cause them to think about any resolute part of the unbeliever or residual, I guess is a better word, residual part of an unbeliever that might still reside inside of them. And he's going to challenge them on that as we look through this passage. You see, it's no small thing for us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's huge. And we are living it out in the time in which you and I are uh, living right now. In fact, I had just this morning uh, sent out on, on social media to, to ask us as a church to pray. And I want to take a moment just to do that for our brothers and sisters in California that uh, Judge had given permission for uh, the church, who uh, the, the Grace Community Church that had asked uh, uh, John MacArthur had, had requested you know, that they go forward and they were, they were having church services and, and really telling the state that the state does not have authority to tell us when and where and how to meet. Listen, this is so vitally important to all of the church community right now. This building was, was purchased with blood, sweat, and tears. It, it, is, it is something that, that belongs to the people of God. It is open to the public to come and learn about Jesus, to find a place to, uh, th that is of comfort and of shelter that they can learn about Jesus, where children can go. It's not enough for someone to say, you know what, you can have church outside if you want to. You can, you know, as long as you spread out and do different things. It's, people should not be dictating in America according to, you know, the, uh, our, our rights uh, and and uh, as, as American citizens, where we should worship. And so I want us to, to lift all churches, not just the, that particular church, to the Lord. Uh, they were initially given the okay by a judge late last night. Uh, the appeals court overturns that. You know, how, how evil is that, that these guys are going to, on their weekend off, stay up just so they can stop God's people from coming together? to worship in the building they built to honor God and to love God. And we need to awaken as a church to what is going on around us because the freedoms that we experience right now will not always be there. And when we have opportunity to have a voice, and especially in prayer, we tend to overestimate what we can do in our own might, underestimate what God can do. Let's take it to the one who really can make a difference, all right? Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, for the, our brothers and sisters in California. And though, Lord, they're not seeing the kinds of persecution that many places are around the globe for their faith, this is the beginning of an attack on the church and on the freedoms to worship together corporately as God's people where they have designated and God, we just invite your presence into that situation, into the hearts and minds of those. Uh, this will be appealed and go another level. And we're asking, God, that you would grant favor among judges and, and those, Lord, who, who will look at the Constitution and recognize the First Amendment, right? Uh, the freedom of speech, the freedom to come together to worship. Lord, that you would uh, direct and guide. But I'm praying, Lord, for encouragement for our brothers and sisters, for pastors and leaders, Lord, who have laid their lives on the line, uh, Lord, who have, have laid their reputations on the line, God, who have gathered together to worship you even today 
When the government says no, they did it anyway. And we're asking that you would encourage and strengthen them, lift their spirits, God, and send a great revival across our nation, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We praise you for it. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. It is no small thing to be a disciple of Jesus, to exemplify the traits of those who are saved means that we have come through some fires of trials and persecutions and difficulties. It means that we've had an encounter with what real love really is all about. And our lives have been changed and we are a new creation. What does the church look like, though, when the unbeliever is dismissed? When the unbeliever in us is dismissed? Do we love like this, like what we have explained that Jesus was talking about love? Do we love his glory more than ours? And how do I know that I can be a committed Christian. Now all of us, we love to identify with things that we agree with and, and we love and we like, causes or people that are famous that we like and enjoy. And some of the ways that we identify with them is we, you know, we buy t-shirts. Sometimes a t-shirt might say, just do it. You know, we, we like uh, a particular brand or, or style, tennis shoes that we might wear. Uh, there, are, there are many, many ways that we express that we're identifying uh, in the world with things that we like and that we believe in, right? So a purse by a designer uh, that has the, the label, the tag of that designer. We like to keep that out where people can kind of see it. We enjoy, nothing wrong with it, nothing wrong with us uh, liking or enjoying particular kinds of identifying with particular kinds of people or uh, organizations. There's jewelries uh, by designers or organization. Our daughters uh, were interested in uh, those giving keys. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those, but uh, the people, who they, the, she's uh, set this up, the person who started it, to help the homeless. And so the homeless people help make these keys and fashion them, and the monies go back to them. And, and so the girls will wear these. They'll buy them for, as gifts for other people. Uh, stickers that we put on our cars, right? And computers and backpacks and even tools that we carry for work. We love certain designer things. We want people to know that we appreciate the craftsmanship, the work uh, behind these. And so, so we might have a tool that says craftsman or we might have um, a, a computer that says Apple or uh, Microsoft or we might have a camera that says Canon or another tool that says DeWalt. We want people to know that we think these products are valuable and we like them and we follow those products. But as Christians, we also carry kind of symbols too, right? We uh, will wear a cross around our neck to identify that we are a follower of Jesus or t-shirts that say something, uh, a scripture verse or a passage and, and we will wear those. We, we have bumper stickers too, don't we? As Christians, there's all kinds of bumper stickers out there, you know, that we will uh, put on our cars. Coffee mugs, we have some of those here at the Grace Place, don't we? Uh, we use coffee mugs to identify and we love to, to hang on to things that will identify us as, you know, this is what we're following, this is what we believe in. But nothing, there's nothing wrong with any of that, but none of that is an authentic sign that we are really believers, that we're saved, that we're following after Jesus Christ. We could have our whole house filled with all of those kinds of things, but they are not an indicator that you and I are saved and a follower of Jesus Christ. They're only symbols hanging up. They're only things that, with, that could attach to some true meaning if there were... A, 
there was this love that was living out in our lives. So none of those things really do it. So what is it? Jesus begins by talking to them about what is most important. It's all about his glory. It's all about his glory. He says, so when he had gone, uh, when the unbeliever had gone out, Jesus says to them, he turns to them and he says, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. Jesus glorified the father. The father glorifies Jesus in the, in the cross. Jesus glorifies the father in, in the death, burial and resurrection. God glorifies the son. And he, and he says to them, he says that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. There's, there's a, a, a trait that is easily identifiable in everyone who is a true disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. And that is that they're passionate about God's glory. They want God to be glorified. It isn't John, when, when John says, you know, here's what has to happen in my life. I have to decrease and he has to increase in me. I want you to look at me and see him. I don't want you to look at me and see me. I want you to look at, at me and see God. I want to glorify him in everything that I do. I can't of myself, Jesus said in John 5.30, do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. The Father glorified the Son, the Son glorified the Father. He said, my whole life is about living for the Father. My whole life is about glorifying the Heavenly Father. My whole life is about pointing you to a Heavenly Father who created you, who loves you, who has a great purpose and a plan for your life, not only here on this planet, but for all eternity. I get excited sometimes thinking about what life will look like in eternity, because it certainly isn't going to be us floating around on clouds playing harps, right? <laughs> I imagine he'll give us some time to, to hug and, and hang out, but God's got a plan. He's got a plan for us in the universe. You know, and it's going to be exciting to see that unfolding plan. Paul told the church at Thessalonica, he says uh, in, in 2 Thessalonians 11, uh, verse 11. Therefore, we, also, uh, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Disciples of Jesus are recognizable for their love of the glory of God, passionate about God's glory, you know, I, I think about one of the professors that, that Zach had when he went to Biola was having, he got all the guys together over at his house, just had a guy's night, and uh, they were answering different kinds of questions, and some of those guys are dating, they're thinking about getting married, and one of the guys asked him a question, what were you looking for in your wife? And here's what he said, and it just really humbled me to hear it. He said, I wanted a wife who could not stand for the name of our Lord to be defamed. Who could not live with the name of our Lord not being glorified. 
This is the trait that just lights up a room when people of God come together. They come to glorify Him. You know, we were in Orlando, Florida, uh, about a couple of years, well, a couple of years back, Amanda and I and Michelle, and we were at the Assemblies of God General Council. There's 35, 40,000 people there. And there are some very gifted, talented people sitting there, you know, in that, in that grand audience. People who can play the piano, people who can sing, uh, you know, people who can harmonize, people who can preach. I mean, it was really amazing. But we're all sitting there for the primary reason that we want to glorify God. We want to worship Him. And all of that disappeared in just a moment of time as we began to lift our voices and worship God and sing to Him. It didn't matter anymore what our gifts were, what our talents were, what was happening inside of us. But what mattered was that He received glory and honor and praise for He's worthy of it. The disciples had gathered just hours before Jesus uh, would be crucified. And the last of the unbelievers had left the room. And the most important thing that Jesus wants them to understand is God needs to be glorified. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, so God will glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Jesus called the disciples away in this moment from a self-focused argument that had been ongoing with them for quite some time. Maybe as much as a year, but certainly several months, this ongoing argument had been going on. And those of you who are familiar with the New Testament passages will remember this ongoing argument that was happening. They were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Do you remember that? They had just been talking that, about that, about every time that Jesus would walk out the door, that became the, the conversation. And, it, and, and you know, we, we, can, we can look at them and we can cast stones and say, you know, boy, I wouldn't be like that. But look, there was 70 that followed Jesus. There was a multitude hanging out. There was 70 that were, that were in various forms following Jesus as disciples, close disciples, a part of the network that was helping go in advance and prepare cities for the coming of Jesus and towns and things like that. But there was 12, right? 12. Every day they're with him. Every day they're eating and drinking and sitting around Jesus. They started feeling rather important. And don't think you would not have felt that way too, right? There's 12 of them, they're hanging out, and, and in certain uh, situations, he even draws others away, and that's what starts these kinds of conversations, the Mount of Transfiguration, he takes two with him, and uh, they, they go away with Jesus, and, and, and people are like, well, are they the favorite? Are they the ones that are going to be standing on Jesus' right hand, left hand when he comes into his kingdom? And, and they, get, they all get back together. So let's, let's, let's hammer this out again. I'm the brightest one in the room. And, uh, you know, I've had the most effect in helping set up these crusades. Remember when I, we all brought the baskets back of, of fish and loaves? Mine had the most in it. So that must mean that Jesus is most pleased with me. And therefore, and so this argument had just been ongoing with them. And so Jesus uh, brings them into the room and, and, and says, the unbeliever's gone. I got to tell you what's most important here. It's that the Father is glorified. You stop having the argument. And why was this so, so important and so uh, for Jesus to share in this moment? 
It's because they were consumed with their own glory. And if they continued down this path, they were going to be lost to the kingdom, but certainly lost to the kingdom's value, which is the mission. They were going to become those who are uh, like some that we look at today that are all about their own name, all about their own glory, all about their own visibility. And and the, the kingdom work would be diminished and God would not be glorified in that. And, and they will be among the ones that would stand before him and, and say, you know, uh, here are the, the works that you accomplished and you, you said were in my name, but they really were not for my glory. Let's see if they burn up and they burn up. And then the, those that would come that, that are a part of, of the, the believing community and disciples of Jesus Christ bring in those those treasures and, and, and lay down at the feet of Jesus. And he says, yes, this was for my glory. This will not burn up in the fire. Jesus was suffering humiliation as he begins his, his ministry, mocked by uh, his community where he lived. You might remember when he went back to his own township that, that they, he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And, and there were murmurs. And is this not just you know, Joseph's car, this, the carpenter's son? And, and who does he think he is? He, there was, there's, uh, it looks like maybe some, some family differences and things early on. And, and there were all kinds of things that were happening uh, as Jesus was moving to the place of, of, of his ministry beginning. And then, of course, uh, in the wilderness, being tempted and, and uh, out in the wilderness and, and the enemy coming and, and battling and trying to destroy him early on, attacking the glory of God. He speaks of... of at this moment, though, of having arrived finally at an ultimate destination, and he says, now the Son of Man is glorified. I was thinking about John chapter 17, a few chapters ahead of where we read today, beginning at verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to the heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work that you have given me. To do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world began. Jesus was glorified in the cross, and the Father was, was glorified in the Son's obedience even to death. It was necessary, God's justice was fulfilled at the cross. On his own son, Jesus, death on the cross, he took what you and I deserved. Isaiah 53, 6 says, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Justice couldn't be satisfied. The price or the, the consequence that we were facing, which we talked about in the opening message, saved from hell, that could not be fulfilled 
in hell, in just an existence in hell. But only in Jesus could justice be fully accomplished. That God put it all on his own son. God loved, his love was, is, is seen in an incredible way on the cross. 1 John 4 and 10 says, in, in, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Propitiation. Our redemption accomplished in Christ. He took our place. And my question for us this morning is, are we consumed with the glory of God? Are we consumed? Is that a trait of our life? Is it so important that wherever we go, that we are in some way honoring and glorifying God, honoring and glorifying him through our work, honoring and glorifying him through how we drive on the freeway, honoring him and glorifying him among our family and how we speak to one another as, as spouses or how we speak to our children, honoring and glorifying him in every aspect of our life. Is that at the forefront? And then Jesus says to them the second thing here, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love one another. And by this are all men going to know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Peter launches into a, he's puzzled because he's heard Jesus talk a lot to the crowd about you're not going to be able to go with me. And 12, these 12 were all okay with the crowd not being able to go with them, right? Because they, they were just kind of figuring out where they were in the kingdom, you know, like, or am I going to have the biggest crown? You're going to have the biggest crown. You know, well, I'll, I'll, you know, if I have like 10 more stones in my crown of jewels in my crown than you do, I might give you one extra, you know. And uh, these, this was the forefront. But now Jesus brings it home. The unbeliever's gone. Jesus says, you're not going either. You're not going to go. You're not going to be able to go right now. Because this mission is the forefront to love one another. It's why I'm leaving you behind, but I'm not leaving you behind. You know, as we read forward, we, we read that Jesus didn't leave them behind without any resources. He gave them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to live in you. It's going to be great. It's going to be, you're, you're going to be able to accomplish this. He's going to evict the last of the unbeliever in you. The argument about who's the greatest in the kingdom is going to become very unimportant. Your trait is going to be that you love the glory of God and that you love the people around you. And people are going to know that you are my disciples by this uncommon, incredible love. You're going to give to people who will later kick sand in your eyes, right? You're going to love people who are going to take advantage of it in the moment. The old saying was, you know, somebody who, who first came to Christ and they pray, prayed that God would use them. Lord, just use me for your glory. And then people use them and they say, never again. <laughs> right? But when we really understand what this is all about, we understand that that's one of the ways we get used, right, by God, is we get used by people. And it doesn't change our love. I mean, we're upset. We have reason that that was unfair and not right. It's okay to draw boundaries, you know, so that people don't invade and just abuse you. <laughs> There's a difference between being used and being abused, right? But we do expect that in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. 
I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen. So the disciples were greatly disturbed that Jesus was leaving them. Peter goes through, you know, I can, I can go with you. And Jesus is like, there's going to be a quick visual example for you. Um, you will work out in the long run. But guess what? Before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. Oh, that, that can't be, you know. Isn't, weren't you a follower of Jesus? Oh, no, not me. <laughs> Every one of us in the room has to dismiss the last of the unbeliever in us. He says, eventually there's going to be a love in you, a love that distinguishes God and not you. A love that points to him. There's going to be a love in you that embraces sacrifice. It's not going to be a hard thing. You know, we were, we were talking uh, this week about the, how, how difficult it is to parent, you know, and, and uh, you know, grateful that, you know, we are not having to relive that again. You know, it's, it is tough. It's, it's those situations where you can scream across the room like 40 times. I'm going to count to three. You're, you're going to get into timeout. And it's just, you know, and in six seconds, you're doing it again. And you're losing your voice. I'm going to count to three. You're going to go, but, but you have to get up and you have to go over there and you have to separate them from the environment. I've had to take my kids out of a, a, a crowded store or out of a, a crowded restaurant to, to discipline and to, and to talk to them or do other kinds of things to them to, <laughs> to get their attention and to get them back on mission and on target. And that's hard work. And, and just we were just like many of you, there were times that we didn't want to do that. We just wanted to yell across the room until we finally had to get up and go do something. You know, and, and this is the kind of love that embraces sacrifice. It's like, I can sit here and scream it, but I have to get up and do something about it. I have to, I have to be sacrificial. I made an offering uh, this week to, uh, you know, the, the people who are representing uh, the churches in California. Because I, I just cannot any longer just yell it and scream it out on, on, you know, social media. I have to do something about it. I have to mobilize and sacrifice or they may lose their right to worship as you and I enjoy and celebrate. Thank God for Texas. Amen. <laughs> it is a love that is constant. It's consistent and it's constant. It, it, is, it is there no matter what happens. It's, it's there. And he said that's going to be formulated in you. It's, it's a love that is, that is faithful. Michelle and I have always had faithfulness as a, as a priority. Not that people would always agree with us in our opinions and our decisions and things like that, but they would be faithful to love us, and we would be faithful to love them back. And, uh, and, and I think in many of you, that's a high, high quality, and, and it comes really from having a relationship with God. Otherwise, you know, we can mark people off, right? We, and, and out of mind and out of, out of sight and out of mind, they're gone, you know, like, you wounded me, you hurt me, you disagreed with me, um, you disrespected me, whatever it is, you're gone. But that faithfulness, you know, and, and, and that's been like a real honorable thing that, you know, as in the era of social media, we've been able to reconnect with people that we haven't seen for a number of years. And, and sometimes they'll message us and say, one of the things that stood out about you in, in, in our life was that we were never strangers. You always love this. If you love somebody, you love them all the way, and you love them forever, and it doesn't stop. And that's, that's that faithfulness that comes from, from loving Christ. A forgiving love. 
A love that is able to kind of back away, see the big picture, forgive. Understand we've been forgiven. And the responsibility then is that we forgive. And a healing love, a kind of love that can bring healing. Now, I'm I'm closing with this thought, but Henry Martin is a, a missionary that was called to India in 1805. And to be... He was going to begin his work there in, in India for Christ. And, and he was so excited about the opportunity, and he was journaling. And he wrote in his journal, let me burn out my life here for Christ. Go to India. I want to burn out my life here for Christ. I want the rest of my life to be spent on this territory, reaching um, the nation of India for Jesus Christ. I want to burn out for Jesus right here. But soon after he arrived, he had uh, an encounter at a, a Hindu temple. He, was, he happened to be there at this, uh, this particular time. And there were literally hundreds, maybe even thousands, laying prostrate before Hindu gods. And, and they were just giving homage and honor to these Hindu gods. And, and he, he wrote in his journal that visually watching this and seeing it, he said, this, this stirred more horror in me than I can express. Because he was reckoning with a life that wasn't really living to honor God. Here's a group of people laying prostrate for false gods, sacrificing and giving themselves to that. And he had thought he was doing something by just coming here. And now it's, he's reckoning with the unbeliever inside of him, the doubt that still might reside inside of there, the Judas in his own mirror. Have we fully dismissed him and got him out of our lives? A pastor friend uh, of Michelle and I's um, shared this past week a story that was... uh, it was, it was pastor's wife, and, and she shared this story that just really stuck with me and, um, and, and really made an impact. I know her family. Um, in fact, one of her sisters was, uh, and, her, and her husband and their family were members of our church in Phoenix for a number of years. A great, great um, heritage of Christian family, good people, served in ministry. Her parents are just precious people, man, really, really have loved God and raised some some awesome daughters that love God with all their heart. And all of their daughters, except one, is, are in ministry. You know, and uh, Their husbands are pastors. and It's just, just an incredible legacy. They just really love God. But she shared this story. She said that she, when she was about uh, 14 or 15 years old, she had uh, done something um, very sinful, very disrespecting to her family, and and uh, it was it was one of those moments that was pivotal in in family. And so her dad pulled her aside to have this conversations discussion, and just out of a broken heart, he's just sharing with her, passionately talking to her about Jesus. And finally, he reaches for what what the only thing that he thinks that in that moment can help her best understand what what she needs to do, and he he says these words to her. He says, you don't know God until you know him alone. And he said, you you don't know God because your mom and dad know God. 
You don't know God because your sisters know God. You don't know God because people in your church know. You don't know God until you know God all by yourself. Until you have an intimate, personal relationship with him. You don't know him. And what you have done indicates that you don't really know him. And you're not living for his glory. It still impacted her life and broke her into pieces. And she said, I literally collapsed to my knees. I began to cry as I hung onto my dad's legs. You don't know him. You don't know him until you know him alone. And that's the question for our salvation today, is do we know him alone? Can we live our lives forward knowing that we intimately know him because we're living it for his glory, his honor, that others may see in us him and not us, that that might be the first thing they see is how much we love him and care for him. We passed out the elements in the building for communion. I want to invite you to find those and begin to uncap first that which represents the body of the Lord Jesus. And at home, if you've found the elements and you want to partake with us, please do. Symbols of what God has accomplished for us in the cross. The ultimate love. He laid down his life for us. That which represents the body of the Lord, if you would lift that up with me. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that your body was broken for us. And your invitation to us is that we would be the body of Christ. And we would be broken for a broken world. That there may be those who can come and find comfort and encouragement shade underneath a tree on a sunny and difficult day. Find comfort uh, through the, the, the clear, cool waters of the streams that flow from mercy, forgiveness, love that come from those who are committed in a relationship with you. Thank you that your body was broken for us. And as we remember this today, we do it with extreme gratitude. Thank you that we're all invited to your table. We ask you to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That as we receive this together, that we may glorify you in all that we do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Receive that which represents the body of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we lift the cup thanking you for the shed blood at Calvary. What a difference it's made in all of our lives to be forgiven. But it also extends to us the obligation to forgive. If there are any that we have not forgiven as we stand here in your presence, before we come to your altar, we and offer gifts to you, we, we reconcile with brothers and sisters and ask for forgiveness and ask you to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we might stand worthy in your presence 
to just thank you for the sacrifice that you accomplished at Calvary. Propitiation, you took my place. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving our sins, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, freeing us from the power and the bondage of sin and our sinful nature, that we might be overcomers in you. We receive this with great gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.